Well, good morning. Um, we, my name is Robert. I'm the lead pastor here. Glad to see you guys. And um, we have been going through the book of Acts uh, throughout the summer. And you want to keep your thumb in where Caleb just read, because you'll be referring back to that as we go in Acts chapter 10. But I want us to try to remember back long ago, beginning of summer, when we looked at the opening, uh, like the opening chapter of the book of Acts. And so this would be Acts chapter 1, which is up here on the screen. It says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. So this is like the opening of the book of Acts. Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke, also wrote Acts, and this is how he uh, introduces it. And these disciples who had grown up since they were little boys, uh, understanding that the epicenter of the kingdom of God on earth was the Jewish people in the place where the Jews resided in Israel. Not only that, they'd heard that uh, that epicenter had been under fire for 700 plus years. Uh, They had been occupied by the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, and in the first century, the Romans. And They've also heard that there's a Messiah that's coming and that that Messiah is going to get rid of the bad guys and is going to reestablish the people and the place of Israel. And so when Jesus is saying to them, you're going to be witnesses to all the nations and this, this is the new version of the kingdom of God, it's a tough sell and for good reasons, right? And so it's... It's a stretch for them to to then push out into other nations, other ethno-linguistic groups, and to include them also into the kingdom of God. This is why they're asking Jesus in this Acts 1, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus answers them by saying, that's not any of your concern. What's going to happen is the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you You're going to be my witnesses, and that witness is going to go to the nations. And then he ascends to his throne. And his throne is not in Jerusalem. It's not in an earthly palace. His throne is in heaven. And so he is uh, ruling and reigning over everything seen and unseen, over all of the nations. Um, So that's how Luke opens up his Uh, his book. And I think if you've been around Christianity any amount of time, this like globalization of Christianity, like that seems like, yeah, that's that's what Christianity is. It's it's a globalized kind of a, a religion. But again, for these who were the first followers of Jesus, uh, they were scratching their heads. They were like, how on earth are you going to make a kingdom out of Jews and Samaritans who were like half Jewish and Gentiles that were non-Jewish. 
And so they walk away from this experience with Jesus where he said that this is what's going to happen and he ascended to the right hand of the Father and this is how the book of Acts opens up. And so one of the ways to think about the book of Acts is that it shows a separated people becoming a people that's willing to include anyone into the kingdom of God. And it's a process. And Acts chapter 10 is showing us the, the, the first little blossoming of this inclusion of Gentiles, right? We've seen some inclusion of some other folks that are kind of on the margins of, of Jewishness, but this is the first time that the non-Jews being included into the kingdom of God. And God is really determined to make this happen, that through the preaching of the gospel and the power of the Spirit, that he's going to make his kingdom this multi-ethnic, multilinguistic, multicultural kind of a kingdom. As I said before, as you're tracking through Acts, you're seeing uh, Jewish converts to Christianity. Then you're seeing Samaritan converts who are half Jewish, and you're seeing Jewish proselytes, okay? So these are folks that are, were Gentiles, are Gentiles, but they have uh, decided they, they want to follow the God of the Jews. And so they've made a lot of accommodations to do that. They're eating kosher. Uh, the way that they dress is, 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 is accommodating this. Um, they're also uh, accommodating, if they're male, being circumcised in order to become Jewish, which is a big step, I would say. Um, and so, so these are the kind of people that we've seen that were kind of in the non-Jewish category that have become Christians, the Jewish proselytes. Um, and honestly, many of the early Christians, including Peter, kind of wanted that to be the model, that those who are Gentiles would come to faith in Jesus by also adopting eating kosher food practices, being circumcised if you're male, adopting all of the Jewishness, as well as ad- adopting faith in Jesus. And I think Peter would have been on that train. I know he would have been on that train if it hadn't been for what happens in Acts chapter 10. So last week, if you were here, and if you weren't here, I- I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that sermon from Christian Hogan. It was an excellent sermon. And it kind of gives us the backstory of how Peter gets to the doorway of a man named Cornelius, um, who is a Gentile. And the short version of that is that God speaks to uh, Cornelius through an angel and says, I want you to go find uh, this guy named Peter, and he'll tell you, basically tell, me, tell you about me, about God. So Cornelius sends some people to go get Peter. While that's happening, Peter's having a vision, and that vision is basically the message of that vision is it's okay to eat non-kosher food. And so Peter's kind of scratching his head, what does that mean? And, and then some, some of Cornelius' guys knock on the door, and, and Peter goes with them to Cornelius' house. So he's like, oh yeah, the, it's okay to eat non-kosher food. That means I can hang out with non-kosher people, right? And so he arrives at the doorstep of Cornelius, and he's like declaring, it's okay for me to be in this house that is a Gentile house, which would have been a big no-no in the first century uh, Jewish tradition. So this is where our story is picking up this morning, and we have um, what Peter actually says to Cornelius and his household. So this is Acts 10, 
Verse 34, page 864 there in the Bible's in your chair. Uh, So Peter opened his mouth and he said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is the Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on a third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So the first part of this is just what Peter said, right, to, to, these, to these Gentiles. And this is probably a summary of what he said. Most of, of, of the, the sermons that we see in Luke, or in, in the book of Acts, are probably these kind of summaries of that. Peter probably said a whole lot more. I mean, he's a preacher, so of course, you know, he can't say two paragraphs and be, be done. Um, but this is a good summary that Luke gives us. And so he says, he tells us who the gospel's for, what the gospel is, and what it means. So who's it for? What, it, what is it? And what does it mean? So who's it for? It's for everyone. It's for everyone. He says, God shows no partiality. That's a big statement for Peter. He's saying, God, God is showing favor to everyone, Jews and non-Jews alike. And so this good news that he's about to share with Cornelius and his family is for everyone. Now, what, what is this good news? What is the message? Well, he gives a good summary of that, right? Um, he talks about Jesus, because this is what the gospel is about. <laughs> it's about Jesus. He says, hey, Jesus, he, he preached, he healed, which authenticated his message, right? He did supernatural things. He was crucified. He was then resurrected. And in his resurrected form, he appeared to those who'd been chosen to be witnesses. Right? This is the gospel. Jesus, right? his death, his burial, his resurrection. And, and Peter lets them know, like, Peter's one of the designated witnesses to the resurrected Jesus. I say, well, okay, well, that's, that's a neat story, Peter. Like, who cares? Like, wh- why, does, why does it matter? Well, he tells us, and I just read this, but I want to read it again, verse 40, 42. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead, and to him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So this is Peter telling them, this is what this means. And he gives them the bad news, and then he gives them the good news. He's like, the bad news? Jesus is God, and he's judge, 
And he's not just judge of the Jewish people, he's judge over everyone, living and dead, right? That's what he means when he says living and dead. He's saying every human being is under the just judgment of Jesus. But, the, but Jesus is also a justifier, that because he's died in the place of those who are worthy of judgment because of their sin, he's now offering forgiveness. He's offering pardon. He's offering clemency. He's offering amnesty for our crimes. He's not saying we're not guilty. He's not saying, oh, that doesn't matter. He's saying it matters, and you're under judgment because of it. But there's a way to get out from under the judgment. And that is by placing faith in Christ. Both the, the person of Jesus, but also the work that he's done on the cross to die for our sins in our place. And when Peter gets to that part in his sermon, where he's telling them why it matters, what it means, then God does something. And so Peter says something, then God does something, right? Verse 44 while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared. So here we see God doing something. And again, when does he do it? He does it when they hear the, the gospel and the meaning of the gospel, that there's forgiveness of sins through the death of Christ. And when that happens, the Holy Spirit falls on them. Now, we've seen the Holy Spirit fall a couple other times. Um, in the second chapter, we saw the Holy Spirit fall on uh, the apostles. So we had Jewish converts that were experiencing the Holy Spirit. Then later, we see the Holy Spirit fall on Samaritans, when uh, the, um, Peter and John go to see the Samaritans that had become Christians through the ministry of Philip, and the Holy Spirit falls on them. And here we see a third kind of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit is falling on the Gentiles right, in that moment. Um, the reaction of the Jewish Christians to this is kind of telling, right? I mean, Luke says they were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, right? Like, wow, this, this is surprising to them. Um, there's been uh, some, some talk in, in, a, in a book that I'm reading and online now that I have heard this term, the, the, it's called the lesser minds problem. Uh, it's kind of a sociological concept where we, just as human beings, we tend to consider others as having a lesser mind, like we know better, um, and especially if a person is different than us, if they talk different than us, they, they have different clothing than us, they're from a different place than us, we immediately kind of have this default that they are a person of lesser mind. Now, I think that was probably going on between Jew and Gentile, going both ways. Um, but here we have an even greater problem, which is the lesser souls problem. That they're thinking... These Gentiles, they have less access to God than we do. We, we have a spiritual preference over and against these Gentiles. 
And so they're, they're, they're very perplexed. Like, what is going on here? Because it seems like they don't have lesser souls <laughs> than we do. They don't have less spiritual capacity uh, than we do. And now even, you know, this, this is being uh, experienced even though Jesus did say, go make disciples of all nations from Matthew 28. Even though Acts 1.8, it's like, the, the Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Right? They'd heard this stuff, but it was still just a hard stretch for them, and, and for good reason. Right? There's, there's, a good, there's good reasons why it was a stretch. And there was, there was no religion that was beyond culture, beyond your country, really, in the ancient world. It was all connected to your language, your culture, your country. And so this idea of sort of multinational, multilinguistic, multiethnic kind of a religion, this was, there was no category for this. And, and Christianity was kind of blazing the trail here. Now, Peter sees this, and then he does something, right? So he declares, verse 47, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people? who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. So Peter does a couple of things, right? So he, for one, he baptizes them, or he commands that they be baptized. I actually don't think he did the baptizing. It's kind of interesting. Um, he sees the sign that these Gentiles are being fully included and accepted by God, and that is that the Holy Spirit has come upon them. And he knows that because they're speaking in tongues, right? So this is like an ecstatic, heavenly language that's coming out of their mouth, and it's a sign, oh, that they have the Holy Spirit. This doesn't happen every time that someone gets the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, but it happens sometimes, and it is a sign, especially to these apostles who are kind of struggling with, can, can Samaritans become Christians? Ah, I don't know. Ooh, Holy Spirit comes upon them. They speak in tongues. They're like, ah, I guess they can become Christians. Now it's happening again. The Gentiles, Holy Spirit shows up. There's a sign of that. And they go, oh, okay. So it looks like Gentiles can become Christians as, as well. And so when he sees that full inclusion by God of the Gentiles into a relationship with God, he then realizes, oh, we're going to have to give them full inclusion in the church as well. And he baptizes them. And this is what baptism signifies. It, it both, both signifies this inclusion in a relationship with God through Christ, but it also signifies an inclusion into the church. Because the church is who is doing baptism, right? Is that you have to go to the church to be baptized. You can't baptize yourself. Right? And, and so Peter is, is saying, well, I mean, if God's going to include them, then I'm going to include them too, and I'm going to baptize them. Uh, he also remains with them for some days. This may have meant more to these Gentile believers than the baptism, honestly, that he stayed with them along with his six uh, friends that were with him who were also Jewish and eating kosher, that they stayed, they remained, and they ate non-kosher food, and they stayed in their house. There was no, like, Hampton Inn down the street uh, where they could go and, and, you know, sleep. It was like hospitality right there in Cornelius' household. And so Peter and his little posse uh, remain with these uh, 
uh, Gentiles. And so it's an opportunity for Peter to actually back up his words that he had spoken earlier, right? He's like, God shows no partiality. And they're like, sweet, why don't you remain with us some days? And Peter's like, sweet, yeah. And he does. And he stays with them. And they needed it, right? They don't know any Old Testament. They don't know anything about Jesus' teaching. They just know the, the gospel, and they've responded in faith, and they are Christians. They don't know anything else. And so they desperately need some discipleship. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm thinking Peter and these six helpers are just doing discipleship for however many days. We don't know. They remain for some days. And this really is a big deal. And Luke points to uh, an experience that Peter has to let us know how big deal it, it is. Because when he gets back, Peter gets in some hot water, right? So if you look at Acts 11, the very next chapter, it says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. So Luke shows us, this was earth shattering, right? Like, like all of Judea, not just Jerusalem, but Judea, like the region was talking about this event, that the Gentiles had become Christians. But more troubling, at least to the group that Peter or Luke labels as the circumcision party, it didn't sound like much of a party, but uh, circumcision party, is that Peter ate with the Gentiles, right? This is what they're most concerned about. Um, now, Peter's answer to them, which is also in chapter 11, is, on one hand, the vision that he had, which was last week's sermon. So go back and listen to that. But it was this, this vision that he had where God basically says, it's okay to eat non-kosher food. Um, and then he shares about the experience of having shared the gospel with these Gentiles. So this is kind of fun, because it's like Peter t telling us what it was like when he preached the gospel to Cornelius. Acts 11, verse 15, on the screen here. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And if then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who, has, who was I to stand in God's way? So you can see Peter connecting dots. He's like, okay, so Jesus said to us that we would be baptized by the Holy Spirit. Then the Holy Spirit fell on the Gentiles just like us. So this must mean that Gentiles are part of us because we all had the same experience of coming to faith in the gospel and experiencing the Holy Spirit. So, interesting stuff, I think, at least. Um, what does this have to do with Austin, Texas in 2023, right? Does it have anything? I, I think it has a lot uh, to do with us and, and for us as a church. So here's a few things. So one is, as Christians, we're called to move toward the other. We're called to move toward the other. Um, there's a lot of talk in our culture about othering and how we shouldn't do it, right? And it's absolutely true. I mean, othering is defined as it's labeling someone who doesn't fit in or doesn't um, 
follow the norms that are acceptable. Um, they can even be a, perceived as a threat, right? And so there's different ways that we other people and say, those people are, are out, our people are in. And this is, this is definitely a call to move toward those who are not like us, whether that's linguistic or cultural or racial or a whole host of other things that we use to other people. Now, there is an in and an out in Christianity. We do have this concept that some are Christians and some are not Christians. Those who are Christians are those who have put their faith in Christ, what he had did on the cross for them to save them from their sins. And through faith, they've, become, uh, in an, in, they've come into a relationship with God and they've come to be a part of his church. So there is a, a place in Christianity for in and out. But it's also a very inclusive invitation, right? Because this is what we see in Acts 10. It's for everyone. It's for everyone. No matter what your level of intellect or your socioeconomic abilities or your race or your culture or whatever, come, right? And again, in first century, this was, this was not a thing. There was no religion like this. This is the first time that any kind of a, a religion was saying everyone, can come, no matter who you are, male, female, child, no matter what culture, what nation, come through faith in Christ and come be a part of Christ and the church. One way that the church does this uh, is through hospitality. And we see this in the, the, the New Testament many, many times. But here's a couple of, of examples. Romans 12, 13 um, Paul writes this to the, Romans, uh, the Roman Christians. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hebrews 13.2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. The Greek word translated hospitality there is philoxenos. It's love for the stranger. This would be the opposite of xenophobia, which is talked about a lot in our culture, right? The, 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 the fear of strangers. But Christians are supposed to be the opposite. We're supposed to be loving the stranger, moving toward the stranger. And, and as human beings who are influenced by sin, we are so tempted to not move toward the stranger and instead other the stranger, right? People in the Northeast, they hear a Southern accent they immediately think, that person is not as smart as those who are in the Northeast. And I experienced that when I was there. Um, rural people like to talk trash about people who live in the city. Right? They're, they're lesser than because they're big city people. Progressives and conservatives, sometimes they, they literally define their identities merely as being against their opponent. Right? Um, you have folks in Austin, I've heard, that are like, those Californians. They're just ruining our, our city. Right? Sorry if anybody says California. We're glad you're here. Okay? Um, there's racial stereotyping. There's uh, Americans that other, you know, people from other countries. Right? I mean, we, this is so natural for us as fallen human beings to other people. Longhorns, other Aggies. Right? Yeah, we got some in the room. Uh, there's a whole Aggie section over here. So, so, and Aggies, 
sometimes other longhorns, okay? So, so it's, we're all equal opportunity. But the point is, we're, we're tempted. We're tempted to other. Um, and we're called instead in the gospel to move toward the other, including those who other us. This is where it really gets challenging. And this is what Peter's doing. He's moving toward someone who he would perceive as othering him. He's moving toward Cornelius, who's a Roman centurion. Like this guy is, is the enemy. <laughs> He's the occupier. He's the one that, before Christ rose from the dead and explained these things to him, he was thinking, the Messiah is going to kick this guy out of our country. And now he's saying, no, you're my brother. You're my brother in Christ. So this moving toward the other is even toward those who might be perceived as othering us. I remember going on a mission trip to the Dominican Republic, and we had spent all week in this village that was kind of this informal settlement. I think it's the official term. And so you had people living in cardboard boxes and tin shanties and all kinds of Really, really, really difficult situations. And so we'd been in there all week. We, we had been feeding people and helping with kids and do, just doing a no, number of different things to try to serve. And we're coming out of there um, on one afternoon, and this church that we had actually attended the Sunday before had set up this massive trailer with a big sound, like, you know, massive speakers on this thing. And they were about to do some evangelism in this village, except they were on the outskirts of the village, and they were about to crank these speakers up to, to like, the, you know, top level, and they were just going to yell into the community and say, Jesus loves you, and you need to become a Christian, and sing some really loud worship songs, and we were appalled. <laughs> we were just like, no, don't do this, and so we had this conversation, or the people that spoke Spanish had this conversation. I was there for moral support, um, but we had this conversation where we're like, no, 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 let's not do that. Let's go into the community. Like, yeah, we can have a service, but let's go in to the community. And they were like, no, it's dangerous in there. We're not going in there. <laughs> and they lived, you know, two blocks from this place. And they had definitely othered everyone in there. And it was interesting because we actually felt safer in that community than we did anywhere else in Santo Domingo. Everywhere else we were, we were like kind of like holding on to, you know, our wallets because there were pickpockets and there was folks trying to scam and it was just like, yikes. But when we were in this community, it, it felt super safe. And I never drank so much coffee that people invited me into their homes to, to, to drink. But when I walked away from there, and I'm thinking kind of self-righteously like, oh, I can't believe they would do that. You know, the, the Holy Spirit was very kind to convict me and go, yeah, but there's places that you don't go, neighborhoods you don't go in, places you think are scary and dangerous and you have othered them just like these folks have. And so, again, this is, this is something that's it's so easy to fall into. And the gospel of Christ can transform us to move toward the other. Number two. I think part, partly we see the example of Peter here proclaiming the bad news and the good news of the gospel, right? He, he doesn't soft sell the bad news. He's like, Jesus is your judge, and he's your justifier. 
You can come to him through faith, and you can be saved from your sin. But he doesn't hold back on the bad news. And this is something you see in, in Acts over and over and over again. They, they do not soft sell the gospel. They, they speak of the bad news, and then they give the remedy for that bad news. And so um, those of you that are not yet Christians, hear the bad news and the good news this morning. That if you have not yet put your faith in Christ, you're under condemnation, and it's just. And Jesus is your judge right now. And the call this morning is to turn to him in faith. But if you don't, he remains your judge, right? That's, that's the bad news. And it helps us understand why the good news is so good, because we can have freedom from that condemnation through faith in Christ Jesus. Number three, and this has been a point many times in this Acts series, that we want to rely on the Holy Spirit in our missionary endeavors. We want to rely on the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? Real quickly, one is we center on the gospel, right? How is it that the Holy Spirit showed up in this story? Peter preached the gospel. Holy Spirit showed up, right? So keeping gospel-centered in our preaching on Sunday morning, what's being sung here Uh, what's being declared in that bread and cup here in a few minutes, Uh, but also just in our conversations with people, making sure that we're not just soft-selling, but we're actually, in an appropriate way, in a timely way, giving the full message of the gospel, bad news and good news. And the Holy Spirit will will respond to that. Um, We... we, we, we also, um, we heard this last week in Christian's sermon, is we need to pray, right? It's one of the things that, one of the points I thought was really, really, really helpful last week is that we have Cornelius praying and we have Peter praying and the Holy Spirit showing up and doing some really amazing stuff. So I think there's a pattern there that as we, as we pray, this activates the work of the Spirit in us, around us. And so staying gospel-centered and praying. And then being full of faith, right? And I've said this Multiple times, and this is mentioned in Acts, multiple times where this idea of when the Spirit is prompting, you say yes. That's what it means to be full of faith. And so for Peter, the Spirit's prompting and saying, go to a Gentile's house and remain and tell him about Jesus. And he's like, yes, I will do that. He could have very, very well could have said, no, I'm not doing that. It's too uncomfortable. I'm going to keep all these practices that I've had for, for my whole life. But instead, he's like, no, I'm going to say yes to the Spirit's prompting. And he does. And number four would be gather Christians into the church. Gather Christians into the church. You see, when, when Peter sees someone become a Christian, his first thought is, i got to baptize them. And that's not just, I want to go through this ritual of baptism. He wants to include them in the church Again, this, this, this baptism thing, it means more than just I'm joined to Jesus. It means I'm joined to the church. And he wants to make sure those Gentiles understand this is not just a, an individual experience. You are being called to a communal experience around the gospel. This is what the, the Jews did when they became Christians, right? In Acts 2.42, uh, they, these new Jewish converts, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And so this is, this is what they do when they became Christians. They baptized them, and they immediately were 
coming under the, the apostolic teaching. They were devoting themselves to that local expression of the church. They were participating in the spiritual rhythms of that community, praying and having hospitality, taking the Lord's Supper. And so when Peter sees these Gentiles converted, he's like, okay, church, we got we to gotta join them into this uh, local, uh, a new local body, right? And so even today, we're doing a membership class, right? And we're going to eat Torchy's tacos, and we're going to go over to, to my apartment, and uh, we got a couple of folks that are going to do this. If you're like, sign me up, I want to know more about what it means to be a member of the church, check in with Ellen later, and uh, she'll get a couple extra tacos, and you can join in. And we're going to talk about baptism, because so, some of you are not yet baptized, and that's important. Um, but we're going to also talk about what does it mean to be a member at Ridgetop Church. And there's about 20 of you in the room that have already done that process. And um, it's, I think, a very meaningful part of what it means to be a fully, you know, grown-up disciple. Is, is joining yourself to a local body of believers. Uh, we're reminded of this, uh, these concepts every time we come to this table. Um, part, part of what, why Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper was what meals meant in the first century. And what meals meant in the first century is, I accept you. You had someone into your home and you ate with them. This is why the, uh, the conversation about, you ate with them, Peter? What are you doing? And partly because it, was so, it meant so much in the first century. And, and so Peter was, was, was basically communicating, I accept you. You are my brother. You are my sister, right? And when we take the Lord's Supper, we, we are, are, are being reminded that God has done this for us, that, that we were the ultimate other. <laughs> we were sinful and separated from God, and yet God has made a way for us to be brought to the table, to be brought um, into relationship with him and into his church, because we don't, we don't take this by ourselves, right? We take this in the community of believers. And so on the night on which Jesus was betrayed, the night before his death, he took bread and he blessed it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This was his invitation to the table um, to be dining with, uh, with God. And in the same way, he took the cup, and after he had blessed the cup, he gave it to them, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. So even then, he was signaling to them, this is a new covenant community. And part of the, the idea that this is a new covenant community is that it is made up of the nations. It's not, not just ethno-linguistically Jewish. It does include those who are ethno-linguistically Jewish, um, but it also includes all of the nations. And that has been bought and paid for uh, by the sacrifice of Jesus. So if you are a Christ follower, we welcome you to the table. If you've not yet taken Christ by faith, we encourage you to take Christ by faith this morning. And uh, if that's not something you're ready to do, we would encourage you to talk about it with somebody. I'd be happy to talk more about it, but maybe somebody in the room that you know that you could say, what is he talking about? Becoming a Christian? I don't, I don't know what, exactly what he's saying, and I'm often confusing. So uh, you can talk.
talk to somebody else and maybe they can explain it better. Uh, but we would love for you to take Christ by faith. But if you're not there yet, we encourage you during this time to remain in your seat and to not take the bread in the cup because it is a signifier of being in relationship with God through Christ and being in relationship with your fellow brothers and sisters um, in the church. So let me pray. God, we thank you for uh, just this uh, amazing moment in the history of your church that we get to have at least a little window into through your scripture and the ways in which the, the gospel took off and, and went out from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and went to the ends of the earth and made its way all the way here to Austin, Texas, where we can worship you and, and know you through Christ. And so we are grateful for that this morning. We're reminded of what that cost as we take this bread and cup. Uh, we pray that you would bless it. Lord, would you um, remain here with us as we take this bread and cup and uh, draw us near to you, God. Help us uh, to repent, help us to grow, help us uh, to be encouraged. Whatever it is that uh, you know that we need this morning, that you administer to us uh, through your word and through this bread and cup. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.